Attention nerds! If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire The Riley and Kimmy Show! The Riley and Kimmy Show! And welcome to the Sunday episode of The Riley and Kimmy Show. If you're keeping count, it's 1,202. Right next to me is... Kimmy! Hi there, I am your host, Patrick Riley. Powerful you have become. The dark side I sense in you. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. And right next to me is a person who is not part of the dark side. And see uh, the other side. That is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And how is Sunday treating you so far? And let's be truthful to everybody. We're recording this right before sunrise. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it is way early in the morning. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday morning. And mm-hmm. and how is the weekend so far going for you, Kimmy? So far, so good. Uh, Kimmy did something quite torturous to me on Saturday. Um, Kimmy decided to treat me with the pleasure of uh, going shopping with her. Um, I don't know what I did to you to deserve uh, that. Um, but, uh, gee, thank you. Um, uh, that, 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 that was something. That's all I got to say. Mm-hmm. Well, I, at least it don't make you drive. Well, let's be honest. I'm, you're, I'm not... I can legally drive, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. In the state of Florida, I can't. I don't know about other states, but I can legally drive despite having a very bad vision problem, correct? In, mm-hmm. in one eye. Yes. And, um, but to give you an idea, you know, Kimmy did pay the price a little bit. Her feet did for me uh, being taken along. You, I kind of stepped on things a few times because mm. I don't see. I bumped in things, knocked things off racks. It was that kind of a, a, a fun time. It, you chose to take me with you, mm-hmm. so that, that that was part that was part of her price uh, for that. And by the way, this was all happening on Saturday, yesterday, which was April Fool's Day. I played a joke on you. Hey, I played a joke on you. April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. It's a great, great day for playing a joke. Yeah, the the Riley and Kimmy show subscribes to this thing. We we refused, we we totally refused to do any type of April Fool's joke type stuff. Mm-hmm. Correct. You know, I, I I really frown upon you know radio stations over the course of time and past that used to do stuff like that. Uh, and uh, just uh, we chose to take the higher ground. Right. With that. And Kimmy, have you ever had anybody play any of those April Fool's jokes on you in the past that uh, you know either were good or just horrible? Mm, probably. Okay, did you do those to anybody? Maybe in your college years or anything? When I was a kid. Oh, you did? Probably. Yeah, I just, I just never, you know, not into that mm-hmm. at all. Although one of the radio stations I worked at at one time, one of the, it was actually, a, a it, it went against them. Uh, and you know where this is, I won't reveal, but the uh, radio station decided to change format. They had me change format, what it was playing uh, during April Fool's Day. They wanted me to kick it off. And we went from the music-based format that they were to all comedy and was hosting the all comedy show. That's what I did, the, the morning show. And then later in the day, I was supposed to change it right after the morning show ended, you know, like 10 o'clock go, you know, this was a joke kind of thing. Problem was people complained that we switched it back to the format mm. that it had been before. Matter of fact, quite a few complaints okay. happened to that. And guess what? Just a few months later, they ended up selling. Yeah, uh, they closed up shop. 
that radio station did. But I had been long gone by the time that happened. Uh-huh. Moved, on to, <laughs> moved on to somewhere else. Went down the dial somewhere else. That's right. Give me a question for you on this Sunday, April 2nd, because we survived April Fool's Day. That's right. Uh, it is a Sunday, April 2nd. The question for you is, are you willing, you able, do you want to play nerd and pop culture geek trivia? Of course. <laughs> It is an April 2nd. We're moving to the trivia timeline. And, Kimmy, I'm going to give you a little heads up here. This timeline is completely out of whack. It is messed up. It's all over the place. So the dates do not follow in any chronological linear order. We do that because you're extremely smart. And being a Sunday, what we're doing here, because you're taking it easy on the Sunday, April 2nd, because you're celebrating it's April 2nd, the day after April Fool's Day, we will purchase you the best lunch or dinner of your choice anywhere in Central Florida. If you get more of these right than wrong, but if you get them more wrong than right, you get yourself your complimentary generic can of luncheon meat. That's its correct term. It's known as something else, too, but we, we get under its non-generic name. But it's, it's generic luncheon meat processed in a can. Um... That we have just for Kimmy, if she just participates in this game and she walks away with uh, less, you know, losing as opposed to winning. But you still walk away a winner because we give you something. Feel free to shout out answers to Kimmy. Help her out wherever you are. Yell, you know, uh, whatever you feel proper. Uh, Even if you want to hold up uh, your tablet towards your forehead and just, you know, transfer thoughts, that will work. Because Kimmy is psycho. I mean, she is psychic. She can get those answers. So feel free to give them to her. Whatever mobile device you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on, because we are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. Tell your friends you found a place for pop culture escapism. It's a Sunday, April 2nd. And Kimmy, here we go with the very first question. Remember the big uh, hint we gave you that the timeline has been jumbled up. Very first question for you is this band releases an album. The album goes to number one and stays number one for 31 weeks. It is released on this date in history. We will give you a clue to the album by giving you one of the singles from the album, okay? Mm -hmm. Now tell me the album, tell me the recording artist, and give me the year that this happened. We will give you a plus and minus of two years for when the album was released. Here is your audio clue. Easy part. What's the name of the group, Kimmy? Fleetwood Mac. All right. Now tell me the album Don't Stop was on. Um, I think it was the one before Rumors. Right? Rumors. It was Rumors. It was Rumors. You are correct, Kimmy. Give me the year Rumors was released to record stores across the country. You have a plus or minus of two years. Um, 76. 1977 is when that happened. Now, the song, the sample we gave you from Rumors was Don't Stop. Was that a number one hit or not? Yes. No, it was a number three hit. Was that their biggest hit from that album? Mm, no. What was the biggest hit? Dreams. That is correct. Dreams, number one, 1977. Now, we're gonna, not going to let you go there with Fleetwood Mac. We still have one more question. A certain political campaign for president used Don't Stop by Fleetwood Mac from Rumors as the you know part of their music for their campaign. Uh, can you tell me what president used that? I 
Don't know. Oh, that was Clinton. He used that uh, during his presidential oh. campaign. That was Fleetwood Mac's Don't Stop. It was on this date, Kimmy. Now, pay attention here. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun one for you. It was on this date that... Are you, are, are you paying attention here? Because mm-hmm. uh, I thought maybe you were still humming uh, Fleetwood Mac. Jeanette Rankin of Montana begins her term as the first woman member of the United States House of Representatives. Within 25 years, when did the first female serve in the U.S. House of Representatives? Are you mm-hmm. ready for that one? 1970. It was 19. 19- 17 that that happened. Oh. 1917, she was from Montana. Next question, Kimmy. This actor, who was the star of Smokey and the Bandit, appears nude in a magazine on this date in history. Tell me the name of the actor who you did see from a distance when he was in Orlando, Florida. Tell me who the actor is who appeared nude in a magazine on this date in history. Burt Reynolds. Yes, now. Question, what year, within two years, did he appear nude in a magazine? 77. 1972. And the big question, what was the magazine? Playgirl? Wrong. Most people get that wrong. What is the magazine? Playboy? No. Most people get, get it wrong. It's Cosmopolitan. Ooh. Ooh, yes. It's on this date, Kimmy, 1513. Span this this Spanish explorer sights Florida. Yeah, he sees Florida. The next day he went ashore. There is there's tons of evidence of him being here by cities with his name or with a name, you know, associated to his name. There's even a lighthouse down in an area, you know, that has kind of his name to it. Tell me who he is. Ponce de Leon. That's that's right. Kimmy got that right. She did pay attention to history classes. That was in 1513. It was on this date, Kimmy, the very first Easter egg roll was held on the grounds of the White House in Washington, D.C. Now, we're talking about rolling an egg, not an egg roll that you eat, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. The very first Easter egg roll happened. Was it 1877, 1907, 1927, or 1947? 1877. Now, how did you know that? Did somebody shout that out to you? No. 1877 is correct, Kimmy. Now, when you were a child, did they have that kind of thing going on in, in your, uh, up in that frozen tundra you're from? Did they have, like, Easter egg roll things? Or? Yeah, Easter egg hunts. An Easter egg hunt. Did you participate in the Easter egg hunt? One time. Uh, the public Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. Now, I heard that the Easter egg hunt kind of got a little ugly uh, over the course of time. Well, I didn't. we didn't find a single egg my dad brought me, and we didn't get a single one. Well, I've heard, you know, in that area that you're from that it kind of turned like, I think they stopped doing it because uh, people were getting a little, you know, vile. Yeah. Uh, parents fighting, you know, for Easter eggs. Did you do the Easter egg thing at home? Did they hide Easter eggs at home? Yeah. You know, so you, so you did the Easter egg hunt at home. Uh-huh. I bet that was better. Yeah. Okay. That was fun. Uh, did you do the Easter egg coloring thing? That I you didn't did? have any competitions, so did, it was... Well, Kimmy likes that. That's why she associates with me. Um, did you do the Easter egg coloring thing where they had that yep. little metal thing that you dip the... Mm-hmm. Okay, I only did that one time. Um, I was by myself. Mm. Yeah, that was an experiment that kind of went a little strange. It was on this date Velcro was first put on the U.S. market and the world as well. It became uh, available to the public. Velcro. Was this 1948, 1958, 1968, or 1978? 
1948. It was 1978. Velcro is a uh, it's a it's one of those things that came from the space age program uh, from the space oh, okay. uh, program. Uh, it was one of the developments, you know, for the rockets and stuff like that. They they use Velcro. It was on this date, 1889. Charles Hall patents aluminum. It was on this date, 1910. Carl Harris perfects the process for the artificial synthesis of rubber. It was on this date, Kimmy, let's see how well you paid attention to history. And this is kind of important to you here if you're, you know, kind of in the nerd thing, which I know you are, Kimmy. Because in the movie Wonder Woman, we'll probably make references to this. It was on this date, 1917. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson asked Congress to declare war against what country? Starting us into World War One. What's the name of the country? Germany. That's right, and I'm sure that'll play, uh, you know, play a big uh, focal point in Wonder Woman. 1921. This famous person, not really famous at the time, but extremely famous nowadays, and. In his lifetime, he becomes famous. Lectures in New York City on his new theory of relativity. Who is he, Kimmy? Einstein. That's right, Albert Einstein. It was on his date in 1932. A $50,000 ransom was paid for the infant son of this aviator. His child was not returned. He was found dead the next month. Tell me the name of the aviator. Lindbergh. That's right, Charles and Anne Lindbergh. It was on his date in 1935. Sir Watson Watt was granted a patent for radar see that's what got you in trouble if he hadn't created that you wouldn't wouldn't have ever got any of those tickets yeah yeah blame him right mm -hmm. go back in time and stop that yeah yeah he he caused problems for you that's sir watson watt it was on this date kimmy the edge of night and as the world turns soap operas debut on this network give me the name of the network that that happened cbs yes and now what year or what decade did these two things appear? Did they appear in 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, or 1970s? 1950s. That's right, 1956. They both debuted. And I think, you, if I remember right, you watched both of those. Yes. It was on this day, 1958, the National Advisory Council on Aeronautics changes its name. They are renamed to what that you know of to this day? NASA? That's right. They became NASA. So on this date in 1964, this group records this song. Please identify the recording artists. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around. Round, round. I get around. I get around. Round, round. I get around. Who is that? The Beach Boys. And the song? I get around? Yes, it's I get around, Kimmy. And let's see, since you are the dancer, I have a feeling, well, I bet you've never danced to this song. It was a hit. It's one that oldie stations just did not uh, play much. Uh, a few of them did. Uh, it, it went more into the uh, novelty uh, section of record play. Here is the song that was released on this date in history, actually recorded on this date in 1965. Freddie and the Dreamers recorded Do the Freddie. <laughs> Up, swing your arms up to move your head both ways like you see me do. Then just repeat to the swinging beat to the Freddy. Do the Freddy. Freddy. Uh, yeah, do the Freddy. Did you ever dance and do the Freddy? No. Is that the first time you were you ever heard, or at least you remember hearing "Do yes. the Freddy"? That's by Freddy. 
and the Dreamers. Maybe that could be found on 45. Who knows? It was on this date in 1967. Steve Winwood left Spencer Davis Group to form Traffic. It was on this date the very first episode of Dallas Airs. Tell me the network that aired Dallas originally. CBS. And what year within one, plus or minus, did Dallas first appear? 1980. 1978. That happened. It was on this date. The NCAA Rules Committee adopts the 45-second shot clock for men's basketball to begin in the 1986 season. It was on this date, 1987. The speed limit on the United States interstate highways was increased to 65 miles per hour in limited areas. 1987. This artist releases Sino Times. It was released worldwide. Tell me the name of the recording artist. Prince. It was on this date. You're right, by the way. 1989, WrestleMania 5 happens at Trump Plaza. Hulk Hogan beats Macho Man Savage. Uh, I, I know that's important to you because you're following the uh, WrestleMania stuff happening here in Orlando this weekend, aren't you? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Kimmy's yeah. rooting. Yeah, that's right. She's rooting for the winner. It was on this date in 1993. Roberta Flack appears on an ABC TV soap opera. Kimmy, was it All My Children, General Hospital, Port Charles, or Loving? Um, Port Charles. It was Loving. Did you ever watch Loving? No. All right, yeah, loving. Uh, I don't even. I barely remember loving. It was on his date, 1989. An editorial in the New York Times declared that the Cold War was over. That's impossible. Kimmy has a cold right now. That's right. So that Cold War is not over. That's right. You, Kimmy has that cold. What happened? I know. They declared it over, and and she has it. It was on his date, 1992. Mob boss John Gotti was convicted in New York of murder and racketeering. He was later sentenced to life in prison. It was 1995, the costliest strike in professional sports history ended. What kind of sport was it, Kimmy, when the owners agreed to let players play without a contract? Baseball? That is right, 1995. Moving over to notable birthdays, let's see how well she does on this one. I have a feeling I'm going to get the one-finger salute on this one. Tell me the name of this author, Kimmy, born in 1805. He is well-known. Cartoons have been based on his work. Movies have been based on his work. Even some television things have been done and plays as well. And children have probably performed some of his material in schools for ages. Maybe even you acted in something that he did. He's known for the Emperor's New Clothes, The Little Mermaid, The Nightingale, The Snow Queen, The Ugly Duckling, and Thumbelina. Can you tell me the name of the author? Mm. Three names. No. Born 1805. That's Hans Christian Andersen, born on this date. Tell me who this person is born on this date in history. We're going to give you basically a one-second audio clue. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Here is your audio clue as, well, here he is in character, something he is very famous for. All right, Kimmy, tell me who that is born on this date in history. Buddy Empson. That's right. Buddy Empson played in the Beverly Hillbillies 1962 to 1971 as Jed Clampett. And then he played somebody else, Kimmy, from 1973 to 1980, also on CBS. Can you tell me the name of the detective he played? Barnaby Jones. Yeah, that's right. He played the Jones. Uh, I take it you like Barnaby Jones. Yeah, I watched it. All right. Buddy Ebsen passed away 2003 at the age of 95. Moving over to somebody else having a birthday on this date, actually born on this date in history. See if you can identify who it is with this iconic line from him. Here is your clue. Tell me who this is. Remember, 
Force will be with you. Always. Who is that actor born on this date in 1914? He played Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original Star Wars trilogy, Kimmy. I know. He played in a movie called Bridge Over River Kwai. Mm -hmm. He played in many films, Kimmy. Matter of fact, I will give you a little bonus clue to his name. There's a certain title because he was knighted. Can you tell me who this actor who this actor is. Um. Kimmy, every Star Wars person that I know right now. I know. And many, many friends Sir of yours. Yes. Alec Guinness. Wow. Let everybody take take a deep breath now. Let let it out slowly. Yes, she I'm get, a little slow. She got it. You got the cold. It's we, the cold. We, we get it. We understand, okay? Wow, that was close. Yeah, yes. Sir Alec Guinness, born 1914, died 2000 at the age of 86. Next person born on this date, 1920, and he's he was a big-time producer and director and actor of something which is iconic and creator of a, a certain uh, TV. Well, actually, it was a radio show first and then TV show. See if you can identify who this is, who's celebrating a birthday today or was actually born on this date in history. Tell me who this is. You're a cop, a flatfoot, a bull, a dick, John Law. You're the fuzz, the heat, you're poison, you're trouble, you're bad news. Who is that, Kimmy? Jack Webb. That's right, Jack Webb. Tell me the name of the character he was playing there. From the TV show, at least. Radio show, TV show. Right. That was the TV From version. Dragnet. That's Dragnet. Now, can you tell me the name of the character he played? Danny Aykroyd would uh, kind of make a, uh, do a characterization of it at I one time. I can't think of it. You cannot tell me. Sergeant Joe Friday. Ah, uh, That's right, I knew that. The singer, born on this date in history, Kimmy, born in 1939, identify who this is. Kimmy, tell me who that birthday person is, or do I need to do a bonus clue for you? Marvin Gaye. Ooh, didn't have to do the bonus clue. That's good, Kimmy. Born on this date, 1939, died April 1st, one day before his birthday at the age of 44 in 1984. Tell me what this person is known for, Kimmy, this birthday person. Don Sutton, having a birthday today. Is that a baseball player? That is correct, Kimmy. A former professional baseball player, he played in Major League Baseball as a right-handed pitcher. He played for 23 seasons in Los Angeles as the with the Los Angeles Dodgers, also Houston Astros, Milwaukee Brewers, Oakland Athletics, and California Angels. Next person having a birthday, Reggie Smith, an American former professional baseball player. He played outfield. He is 72. Amy Lou Harris having a birthday today. Can you tell me what she is known for? She's a singer. That's right. Leaning more into the country world. She is 70 today. She has won 13 Grammy Awards. Next person, actor, born on this date in history. Kimmy, uh, you, I don't think you can tell me his name, to be honest. But you do know the character that he is famous for from television. See if you can tell me at least the name of the character he played. Here is your audio clue. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. He's right, Mr. Carter. If you was yourself today and Vinny said them things to you, well, you probably would have said something like, uh, Hey, Vinny, you know why you don't got no freckles? Because they probably slide off. 
All right, Kimmy, that's your audio clue. Can you tell me the name of the character? Horshack. That's right. Can you tell me Horshack's first name by chance? Arnold. That's right. Arnold Horshack is the character this person played in what TV show? In Welcome Back, Cotter. That's correct. 1975 to 1979. That's Ron Palillo who uh, played the character. I'm pretty sure you didn't know the name, right? No. Ron Palillo. By the way, he passed away 2012 at the age of 63. Moving over to somebody else known for uh, a, a couple of things, Kimmy. He's known for uh, playing on a television show for a long period of time. He also played in Man of Steel. He took on the Kryptonians and took them into the Phantom Zone. Yeah, he took on that really bad Kryptonian. You know, I uh, can't remember her name right now. You know, remember her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he took her on knife to knife, remember? And he was in Sin City 2. He's one of my favorite things in Sin City 2. Uh, Eva Green's character kind of takes him down the, the bad path. But he's known for this TV show. Now, the actor is Christopher Milani. He's having a birthday today. Tell me the TV show he's known for. That's Christopher Milani's TV show that uh, he's known for. Can Kimmy identify that TV show? Law and Order. I will accept that, even though it has another part to it, because there's so many different versions of Law and Order. It's Mm. Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Uh, He is, by the way, 56 today. Singer Karen Woodward having a birthday today. Kimmy, she's a co-founder of this band. Can you tell me the name of the band that she co-founded? Bananarama. Yes. Now, how old is she within five years today? 58. She's 56. That's that's good. Next one's going to be kind of interesting. I don't know if you can do it. Uh, we, we won't think you know poorly of you. You saved yourself with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, so if you miss this one, that's okay. But it's almost as bad if you miss this one. It's close. Okay. But you didn't miss Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, if you missed Obi-Wan Kenobi and this one, wow. It's going to be a hard time for you to face anybody. I'd but, be run out of town. Uh, they they would be really giving you the business at uh, the upcoming Daytona Beach Comic Book Convention. That's mm-hmm. for sure. All right, Kimmy. This actor is best known for his role for playing Agent Phil Coulson in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He has appeared in Iron Man 2008, Iron Man 2 2010, Thor 2011, The Avengers 2012, and he stars in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now... Who is the actor? I can't do it. Kimmy can't do it. You cannot tell me who Agent Coulson is at all. That's Clark Gregg having a birthday today. How old is Clark Gregg within five years? 55. Now, somebody must have shouted that one out to you. That's exactly right. Really? Yeah, 55. Now, you, you obviously aren't a big fan of Clark Gregg because I don't think you've watched a single episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. since they first came on. I think you watched part of the first season, and that was it. Yeah, I haven't watched it lately. Okay. We, we will forgive you. 
right, moving over to another section of trivia today. I see dead people. Notable deaths on this date in history. It was 1872. Samuel Morse passes away, developer of the electric telegraph. That's Morse. Dies at the age of 80. Next person who passed away in 2003 is a singer. You know him for his song. I, I, we won't hold it against you that you don't know his name. His name is Edwin Starr. He died at the age of 61. He suffered a heart attack and died while taking a bath at his home. Known for this big hit in 1970. Yeah, that's Edwin Starr and War, a song that would be covered by Bruce Springsteen a number of years later. And by the way, it's an interesting thing. That song, uh, there was a few oldie stations that would even touch it after a period. You know, they touched it. The oldie stations didn't touch it, but the, the top 40 stations did play it. But uh, it, a lot of oldie stations wouldn't touch that. Uh, after the fact, I worked uh, for several oldie stations, and it was on the prohibited list. Uh, just would not play that. Also, American Woman was another one. Some of them would not play either hmm. because they felt they were anti-American songs, okay. either the management or the research teams and stuff like that. You know, they get a little complicated, you know, music research. Mm. Kimmy, I think you did a great job with trivia. You didn't miss the Obi-Wan Kenobi question. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you did okay there. You saved yourself. Okay. And we forgive you for the, uh, the you know, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing, the, the Greg thing. But that's okay. But since you did a great job there, uh, we have that uh, dinner or lunch of your choice in Central Florida just for participating in today's trivia on the Riley and Kimmy Show. By the way, just around the corner will be uh, the Spacey Awards re-voting for the best podcast blogging thing. And we will have links to that available once that reactivates. We'll have that on our Facebook page and also our websites, right, Kimmy? Mm -hmm. And we really, really can use your help. Please, once that uh, comes, please uh, place your vote. It'll be one of these things where you don't like the Facebook post. You actually have to click on the voting thing and share that with your friends once that becomes active. You can really help our show because in all honesty, uh, I'm participating in this only because of Kimmy. That's no joke, correct? Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's win it for Kimmy. That's, that's what we're doing. So, uh, please, uh, you know, stay with our Facebook page to find out more about that. You can find links for all our social media on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Right now, we're going to go back in time to the golden age of radio and honor some things from trivia today. Radio was That's the Riley and Kimmy Show. I thought we'd go back in time and honor something that actually debuted on radio today. Uh, we kept it off the trivia timeline. It was 1947. The Big Story debuted on NBC Radio, and it was extremely popular. It was on the air for eight years. Now, how it worked was newspapers throughout the country, the reporters would submit to The Big Story about something that, that happened to them, and then they would dramatize that event, and it became extremely popular. We have an example of The Big Story, and then we also, because it's his birthday today, and he was so important to the world of radio and more so television, we have an episode of Dragnet starring Jack Webb, the radio version, which would eventually go to TV. These are fantastic examples, by the way, of the golden age of radio. We'll kick it off with the big story. 
And then it will go right into Dragnet, starring Jack Webb uninterrupted. If you enjoy what you hear, please tell your friends about The Riley and Kimmy Show. We go back in time with the old-time radio from time to time. You can find all those archived episodes right on our website right now at RileyandKimmy.com. Here we go back in time right now to The Big Story on The Riley and Kimmy Show. corner barbecue in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania at 1 a.m. You, Kiva? Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's have it. Well, what do you do? The cash register, Kiva, the cash register. Wait. What are you waiting for? He's... He's laying on the cash register. Well, push him off. You got hands, ain't you? There's money in that register. There was money in that register. Eight dollars. The three men left, leaving Kiever behind, dead. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The story of a murder and of a reporter who befriended the loneliest man on earth. Pennsylvania. The story as it actually happened. Ray Spriggle's story as he lived it. This was before you won the Pulitzer Prize, Ray Spriggle, reporter for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Before your brilliant and humane work on behalf of the underprivileged of America. But even then, a few years back, the same unmistakable signs were there. The perception, the respect for facts, the sympathy for other human beings. The woman at your desk, sitting on the edge of her chair, was 35. Maybe she was younger. What she'd been through made her look like, well... 35. And the story came out haltingly, as if it hurt to open the wound she carried. Her name was Hortense Grayson. That name, Grayson, doesn't mean much to you, Mr. Spriggle. I don't think so. No, I guess almost nobody remembers. Six years ago, Mr. Spriggle, my husband was arrested for robbery. He broke into a doctor's office, and he and two other men... Clem Grayson. That's right. You said robbery. He's in for murder. That's right, Mr. Spriggle. He has a life sentence for murder. A murder he never committed. Maybe I ought to tell you first why I came to you. You see, your name... Well, maybe this doesn't sound like anything to you, but I've read your articles, Mr. Spriggle. Well, we can I... skip that. No, I'd like to say it. I think if there's anyone in Pittsburgh who can do anything, you're that man. I, I don't say you'll help me. Let's get back to the story, shall we? I told you my husband was a robber, and I told you that he was arrested for a murder which he never committed. I want to tell you this, too. I divorced him three years ago. Oh? And what's a woman who divorced her husband doing fighting for his release? Well, the answer is just that I know he's innocent. 
He didn't do it. Well, suppose you tell me all about it now. My husband and these two other men, Kramer and Jensen, were picked up after they robbed the doctor's office. That was in Cambria County. There was no question about his guilt, and the trial was quick. He was sentenced to ten years. Yeah. Well, he hadn't been in prison a week when witnesses came forward and testified that he and the other two men that robbed the doctor's office had also killed this man, Keever, in his barbecue place three weeks before. The other two were guilty. They're now in jail, but Clem... Clem wasn't at Keever's place that night. I was sick in bed, and he took care of me, and there were two other people in the house playing cards with Clem. They swear he never left the house. Is there any evidence outside of the statement that you've made and your friends? That's the terrible part. You see, Kramer, one of the men who killed Keever, he admitted that Clem wasn't there that night. He wrote out a confession. And Jensen, the other killer, he admitted it to me that Clem wasn't there, but he wouldn't write a confession. And, and the court transcript. If you read the transcript, the way the witnesses changed their mind. He's innocent, Mr. Sprinkle, and I can't do anything about it. You'll pardon this question, uh, Mrs. Grayson. Uh... I still use his name. Do you have anything besides your word? For all this. Oh, I, I brought it all here, Mr. Spiegel. Transcripts, confessions, statements of witnesses. If you'd only read it, I don't know, write a story. Okay, I'll... just put it down on the desk. I'll read it, and maybe I will write a story. Now, uh, tell me one thing. Why did you divorce him? I don't want to talk about it. Do I have to talk about it? No, that's okay. That's okay, Mrs. Grayson. Maybe it's as phony as a three-dollar bill. But even if it is, even if everything she says is pure, unadulterated fabrication, it's a pretty good story. A divorced woman seeks to free ex-mate. Not bad. Not bad. And on that somewhat cynical, somewhat casual note, Ray Spriggle, you get involved. Well, I suppose we might as well start here. Confession of George Kramer. We come in at Keever's place, one o'clock. We told him, give us what's in the register. He went for a gun and Roger shot him. When we left, we counted the money. It was eight dollars. So me and Jensen and Rogers went home. Clem Grayson wasn't there. Depositions of convicted men aren't very much, you know. But when a man in prison for life admits he was involved in a murder and thereby jeopardizes his chance for parole or pardon... Hey, maybe there's something here. Sworn statement of Robert and William my brother Robert and I played poker regular with Clem Grayson. The night of the Kiva killing, we started at 9.30 in his kitchen. His wife was sick in the bedroom. We played till 2.15. We remember because when we were finished, I said to my brother, five hours to lose 35 bucks. That ain't very smart. Well, 
Transcript of testimony, case of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania versus Clem Grayson. Ah, here's the section. The attorney then examined the witness Briggs. You positively identify the defendant Grayson as one of the trio? Yes, sir. I was eating a barbecue sandwich. But you didn't identify Grayson when you were first taken to the county jail. Oh, I'll have to acknowledge I was a little confused. But now, you're absolutely certain. Absolutely. Uh, the reason I didn't then was I, uh, I guess I was slightly muddled. Hmm. What makes you certain now? Well, I thought it over, and I had a talk with the sergeant in charge, and he convinced me, and now I'm absolutely certain. With the sergeant and thought I was muddled before. Now I'm absolutely certain. Gets more interesting all along. Now let's see. Testimony of Nellie Swenson, waitress, cozy corner barbecue. Is it a fact, Miss Swenson, that you were asked at the preliminary hearing, can you tell who was standing in the doorway with the gun? Yes, sir. What did you say? I said. I couldn't tell exactly because, you see, he had his coat collar up and his hat down, and I didn't watch his face. I watched his gun. That's what you said at the preliminary hearing some weeks ago. Now, what did you testify to a few minutes ago? I can't exactly remember. I shall refresh your memory. You said, quote, the man I saw was Clem Grayson, unquote. Is that correct? Yes, sir. How do you explain your revamping your testimony? I can't. During the recess a few minutes ago, did you talk to the prosecutor in this case? Yes, I did. Louder, please. Yes, I did. Will you please tell the court what it was you talked to the prosecutor about? I object. The court sustained the objection on the grounds that the content of the conversation was immaterial. Immaterial. It's the most material thing on earth. This is fantastic. Edna. Edna, get me Mrs. Grayson on the phone. Mrs. Grayson, if I look like a man who's controlling himself, that's just what I am. I've seldom seen anything so blatant, so open and shut, so... What are you crying about? It's nothing, Mr. Sprigger. Just that I... I'll be all right in a second. No, no, no. Cut that out. It's just that you're the first person in six years who understood. You've been on this six years? First, I took it to the prosecuting attorney. He told me to take it to the sheriff of Westmoreland. I went to the sheriff. He told me to take it to the state police at Harrisburg. At Harrisburg, they told me to see the governor. The governor's a busy man. I saw the second assistant to the lieutenant governor, and he told me to take it to the prosecuting attorney. And that's what you've been doing for six years? Six years, five months, and 19 days. Now tell me why. Why what? You know what I'm talking about. Why, after being divorced, do you keep the name? A murderer's name. Why have you kept going at it for six years, five months, and 19 days? 
love the guy? No. If this was a movie, that would be the reason. I don't love Clem. I guess I haven't loved Clem for a long time. The reason is Kathy. Kathy's our daughter, Mr. Spriggle, and wild horses couldn't get me huh? But after the way you've talked, I, I think you ought to know. Kathy was about four at the time Clem was sent up. You see, I found out that a grown woman can put a man out of her life if she wants to, but a child can't. And Clem was in her life whether I liked it or not. And as she grew older, she's ten now, ten and a half, there got to be a lot of questions. Other girls have fathers. She has no father. And what am I going to tell her when she grows into young womanhood? What's she going to tell her friends? That her father's a convict? That he's in prison for murder? She'll have to lie and evade it and... That'll warp her. I don't want that. I don't want that, especially because her father's innocent. So you see, I didn't solve anything by divorcing Clarence. I'm beginning to understand. And if he's free, what'll she be able to say? She'll say, my parents are divorced. My father and mother never got along. I live with my mother, but I hear from my father all the time. He's working in Cleveland or Boston or California. If she can say that, Mr. Speaker, that's all I want. Yeah. Well, suppose we see what we can do, Mrs. Grayson. Let's see if there really is such a thing as power of truth. It's a good story, and a big one. And you, Ray Spriggle, reporter for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, do it in three installments, three big half pages, setting forth the affidavits, the confessions, and the conflicting testimony. And you wait and see what the power of truth is. You also go a step further. With Mrs. Grayson, you help prepare the papers for the pardon board. Don't worry now, don't worry. I think we've got one of the finest cases ever presented. Let's go in, Mrs. Grayson. <laughs> After due and careful consideration of this pardon board, it is our considered judgment that the confession of the convicted murderer Kramer is inconclusive, that internal conflict within the testimony of witnesses has been demonstrated but is insufficient, and let it be remembered that the prisoner seeking this pardon, Clem Grayson, is not only an admitted robber, but has been found guilty of murder by a jury of his peers. Pardon denied. Now you begin to understand those six years, five months, and 19 days. 
This isn't a matter of simple justice. This isn't a matter of the power of truth or the press. The law is a highly technical, complex, careful business. And so you bring into the case an old friend, Tom Endor, lawyer. It's a good case, Ray. Good, but uh, not good enough. What more do you want, Tom? Well, if you could get the jury, each one of the jurors, that'll be something. If you could show about six more cracks in the testimony of the witnesses, that would be something. If you could get Jensen, the third guy, to confess, that, I guess, would be almost conclusive. Almost? That's what I said, almost. Oh, what are you trying to do, make it tougher than it is? No, my friend, I am merely trying to make it precisely as tough as the pardon board made it. Okay, I begin to understand. Now, about you. Now, what about me? Will you see this thing through with me? <laughs> What do you think I'm doing here, twiddling my thumb? There's no money. Grayson hasn't got any. Neither has Mrs. Grayson, and all I can do is take you out for a shot once in a while. Oh, cut it out. And as far as publicity goes, you guys need publicity. Don't kid me, Tom. You might come in for some, shall we say, adverse publicity? What do we stand around talking for? The guy's in jail. <laughs> First in the Westmoreland County dives, pool rooms, flop houses. And there, when you ask the question, you get a common answer. Huh. You're kidding, bud. Grayson never done that job. That was Rogers. Rogers all the way. Kramer, Jensen, and Rogers. Everybody says the same thing, Tom. Everywhere I go, Kramer, Jensen, and Rogers. What about Rogers? He's the third of the trio. No, I know that. I mean, uh, what's he doing now? Well, the court didn't believe he was mixed up with the killing, so he never went to jail. Now he's a small-town political out in Cambria County. Can you get anything on him? Well, look at a sheriff friend out there. You, you mean what I just told you was no good? It's common gossip. Rogers did it. Look, I'll say it to you once more. The law is no layman's game. Specific, full-blown evidence is needed. What's gossip, what they say in the gin mills and the flop houses doesn't go very far in court or with a pardon board. Try your sheriff, friend. Break down Rogers. Get Jensen to admit that Grayson wasn't in on it. Then come back, and we'll talk about what to do. Hey, this is tough. You move again. This time more slowly, carefully. And it takes time. A month, six months, a year, two years. Finally, four years have gone by since Mrs. Grayson first came into your office. A thing you thought would take a few articles in the paper. And even now, after four years, all you've got to show is... Sheriff, you've got to get me something on Rogers. You've got to. Ray, there's nothing on earth I'd like to do better than put Rogers where he belongs. I'm sure he was the one who murdered Keever, and you know it. There's no proof. Look, I know all about proof. Can't we get something on him? For the past four years, I've watched Rogers. And all I can tell you is that the average choir boy has gotten into more trouble. But if anything shows up, I'll get in touch with him. <laughs> What kind of a human being are you, Jensen? I ain't a human being. 
I'm a convict. I'm in for murder. Look, Jensen, you know Grayson had nothing to do with the murder. You know Rogers did it. Kramer admitted it. Why don't you give the guy a break? He served ten years. Yeah? How long do you think I served? There's an innocent man rotting in jail. So I'm a guilty man rotting in jail. Why don't you try your story on Rogers? He might listen to you. Me, I'm too busy. Rogers? My name is Armand T. Rogers. I like to be called by my name, you don't mind? You're pretty sure of yourself, aren't you? Sitting pretty. You don't care that Grayson didn't do it, that he's taken the rap for you. You don't care about anything. I wouldn't say that, Mr. Spriggle. I like a good cigar, I like music, and I like fine food. About Grayson, sure I care. I care the same way as when a fly gets in my way and I gotta kill him and flick him off. And it goes on. Now the four years have become five. And the five have become six. Every two years, you and attorney Tom Endor have gone before the pardon board. Three times you've gone, and three times you've heard the words, pardon denied. Who's there? It's me. Oh, you. Well, you'll be pleased to know they've turned us down a third time, Mrs. Grayson. What are you smiling about? What, what's the, what is it to smile about? You know what they say about women, Mr. Spriggle? I'll cut it out now. What are you talking about? About how weak we are. We can't do anything by ourselves. What have you got? I went to see Jensen today. I told him the pardon board had turned down Clem's plea the third time. And what do you think he did? You got it? He said, gee, I thought the pardon board would give it to him long ago, but I guess they won't. So he sat down and wrote a full confession clearing Clem. Oh, aren't you happy? Aren't you pleased? Isn't this what we were after? Now, look, I got a lot older since you first saw me. Six years ago, I would have turned handsprings. Now I want to be sure. The confession is great. It's terrific. But before we go back to that pardon border, I want to have an absolutely airtight case. What more can we possibly get? Rogers. I'm waiting for Rogers to crack. Meantime, Clem's in jail. Now, believe me. Please believe me. Let's make sure we get him out. So you said, with a sworn confession of Jensen, making two sworn confessions, that Clem Grayson is innocent and Rogers is guilty. You wait for the call which finally comes. Spriggle speaking. Gray, come on over. I got something to tell you. Rogers? So you finally slipped, Rogers. You beat up your wife last night. You beat her up and put her in the hospital for a month. Look, I don't have to sit here and listen to you. That's where you're wrong. The sheriff said stay with him as long as you like, Ray. That's me, Ray. Till you get just what you want. And just what I want is a signed confession that you killed Kiva. You, not Clem Grayson. I never killed Kiva. Should I read you the confession of Kramer? 
The whole thing with every one of its lousy, sordid details. You want to hear the confession of Jensen? How he says you were the one pushed the body off the cash register and took the money out? I don't care what you got to say. Shall I tell you what your wife told me and the sheriff about that night, about your alibi? They're liars. Both of them liars. Okay, Rogers, do it the hard way. Get in court and face them. Everything about the murder will come out, every dirty piece of it. A confession would have made it much easier for you, but you won't talk. Well, Rogers, it'll be a pleasure, a great pleasure to take you apart, bit by bit, in a courtroom right in front of the whole world. And on a winter day, a little later, you and Hortense Grayson wait as the chairman of the pardon board says the inevitable words, setting Clem Grayson free. The wheels of justice grind slow sometimes. In this case, 12 years, 5 months, 22 days. But the important thing is, they do grind. Now we read you that telegram from Ray Spriggle of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Grayson granted full pardon on the murder conviction. When released, he quickly enlisted in the United States Army and served overseas with distinction. Rogers, the actual killer, was convicted and sentenced to a long term in the Western Penitentiary for his complicity in the murder. And so ends another big story. In order to protect the names of people actually involved in tonight's authentic big story, the names of all characters in the dramatization were changed with the exception of the newspaper reporter. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, August 12th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Homicide Division, missing persons detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. We were on our way out from the office, and it was 10.14 a.m. when we got to 1865 Malabar Street. Manager's apartment. Better try it again, huh? Yeah. Just a minute. I'm moving as fast as I can. Sounds like she's got trouble. Yeah. Yeah? Ms. Fleischer? Yeah, what do you want? Police officers, ma'am, we'd like to talk to you. Well, come in, I gotta take care of that kid. Thank you very much. Thanks, ma'am. Sit down, I'll be right back. All right, thank you. Sounds like colic to me. All right? Yeah, sounds like colic. Wonder if she's got a hot water bottle. What? Hot water bottle. Put it on the kid's stomach, makes him feel better. Oh, yeah. Both of ours had the colic. Or out three hot water bottles. On two kids? No, Joe, we lost the stopper on one of them. Oh, yeah. 
Baby's teething, having a rough time. Oh, this is my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. We'd like to ask you some questions about one of your tenants. Oh, which one? Uh, Mrs. Shipley. We understand she had apartment 207. Yeah, she did. What about her? You know where we can get in touch with her? Ain't got any idea. When did you see her last? Guess it must have been a month ago. Possible you might be able to give us an exact date on that? Well, if I could have done that, I told you right out. I got nothing to hide. Well, we didn't mean to say that you had, ma'am. Well, it sounded like it. it. sounded an awful lot like it. I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, ma'am. When Harriet first moved in here, we got along fine. She was all the time wanting me to tell her how to take care of the baby when it came. Yes, ma'am. Go got ahead. Got along just fine. Used to have our little cup of coffee in the afternoon. Chummy. Then all of a sudden, it all got different. Well, how was that? Well, just did. Her husband was overseas. In the Army. I guess Harriet missed him pretty much. Anyway, she was always saying how she did. Wished he could be here when the baby was born. Got terrible depressed. I see. Moody, you know. Yes, ma'am. I did what I could to cheer her up. Used to go up there and we'd sit and talk. Taught her how to knit. Gave her some needles and yarns, a little present. I thought maybe it'd give her something to think about. Kind of take her mind off her and her husband. Didn't do no good. Well, how long had her husband been away, do you know? Four months this time. He's over in Japan, I think, Army. Mm-hmm. Harriet used to go out once in a while, go down at the show. Seemed like just about every picture she saw made her sadder. I guess that's why she did it. Just got so sad she couldn't take it anymore. Oh, what's that? Tried to kill herself. Miss Shepley? Yeah. I got the kids in bed one night and went up there. I hadn't heard nothing from her that day, so I went up to see how she was. Good thing I did, too. Found her right there in the living room. She cut her wrists. Right away, I called for the doctor, and all the ambulances and police came running around. Took her to the hospital. Big deal. Guess I found her in time, though. They pulled her through. Mm-hmm. I walk up there and find her dying. That far from death's door, and when she comes home from the hospital, what thanks do you think I get? I wouldn't know. Go ahead. Nothing. Not a single solitary word do I get. She's mad. Says I should have left her alone, let her done it. Come in here when she got back and read me off in words that I ain't used to hearing. Uh-huh. I got five kids, mister. They take a lot of time, and I ain't got enough to go running around after nobody who don't thank a person for saving their life like that. I called it quits right then. Right at that minute, we were no longer friends. Mm-hmm. When did she make the attempt on her life? Last September. I don't remember the date. I think it was the second, maybe the third week. I'm not sure about what day it was. Anyway, after I saved her life, she's mad at me. She have any people here in Los Angeles, would you know? I never heard her talk of none. She's got a sister. I don't know, but I don't know where she is. Don't think Harriet ever said. Well, what did she say to you when she left? Did she give you any idea where she was going? I didn't even see her. She didn't even come by and say so long. Goodbye, take a jump, nothing. She just left. One night she's here, next morning she's gone. she get any mail while she was here? Yeah. Once in a while she'd get a letter from her husband. Then there was a couple of letters from San Francisco. I don't know who they was from. she take everything with her? All of her personal things? Nothing. Left it all here. Of course, it's not much, but it's all here. I see. Where are the things, ma'am? Downstairs in the basement. I got it all put away in case she ever comes back. Gonna cost her, too. Storage and for me to pack it. I told you it isn't much. Some dresses, a few clothes for the baby, phonograph, a couple of records. That's about it. You can see them if you want to. We'd like to take a look at them before we leave. Yeah, sure thing. Can't let you take them, though. I gotta collect for the storage. Yes, ma'am. Miss Shipley have any close friends that you know of? Well, not that I know of. Of course, she might have had some down at the Dream Palace. Where's that? Where she worked. Dance hall downtown. She was kind of hostess there. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the place, is it? Dream Palace? Yeah. She might have had some friends down there. None of them ever came here, though. At least if they did, I never saw them. Do you know of any reason that she might have left in such a hurry? Well, not right off, I can't think of one. There was something wrong with her, though, when she came back from the hospital. You know, when she had the baby, she was worried about something. Would you know what it was? No, all I know is that when she'd been home a couple of days, she came down here and asked me to do some work on the apartment. I told her if she wanted anything done, she could do it herself the way she talked to me. Well, what'd she want done? Silliest thing I ever heard of. She didn't have anything to steal. Well? She wanted all the locks on the doors changed. Ten forty-six a.m. In the company of the apartment manager, Barbara Fleischer, Frank and I went down to the basement and looked through the missing woman's effects. 
Other than the phonograph, several cardboard boxes of used baby clothes and cheap woman's dresses, we found nothing. There were no snapshots or letters to aid us in ascertaining where she might have gone. We asked Mrs. Fleischer to notify us in the event that she heard from the Shipley woman. We put in a call to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital and verified the story about the attempted suicide. 11.15 a.m. We checked the phone book for the address of the Dream Palace Dance Hall. It was on the second floor of a large building at the corner of 7th and Margot Streets. On the front of the building were several faded photographs of contest winners with the cups that they'd won and the name of the proprietor, Ernest Lasnik. We went upstairs. It was a large barn-like room with crepe paper birds hanging over the lights. In the rear of the place, at one of the tables, we found Lasnik. He was just eating his lunch. Mr. Lasnik? Yeah? What do you want? I'd like to ask you some questions. We're police officers. My name's Smith. My partner, Sergeant Friday. Hi. How are you? I won't shake your hands. Got butter all over them. Sit down. Thank you. Care for a sandwich? No, thank you. Well, you do go right ahead. It's all the makings, bread, butter, salami, pickles. Help yourself. No, thanks, Mr. Lasnik. You don't mind if I go ahead, huh? Bunch of kids coming in at 3.30. I'd like to get the place cleaned up before they get here. No, sir, you go right ahead. All right. What do you want to see me about? It's about one of your employees, sir. Yeah? Which one? Girl named Harriet Shipley. Oh, yeah, I remember. Now, she don't work here anymore. She doesn't work here anymore? No. Got any idea where she is? No, got the slightest. I ain't seen Nadine in about maybe uh, six months. No, sir, you don't understand. We're inquiring about a Harriet Shipley. Yeah, I know. I told you. I ain't seen her in six months. What's this about Nadine? Uh, that's her club name. Oh. See, lots of girls don't like to use their real names. In case a fellow wants to get chummy away from here, it's easier if we don't know the girl's real name. Harriet used Nadine. I understand. You know, we got a bunch of them. When one of the girls leaves, we put the name back in a hat. New girl picks it. Had 14 Nadines since we opened. Uh-huh. 27 Althea's. Yes, sir. Do you have any idea where the Shipley girl is? No. Nope. Mike check her husband. He might know. We understand he was in the Army. Yeah, that's right. He is. Overseas. He should know where his wife is. He'll ask him. Well, we'll probably do that, sir. We thought maybe we could turn her up ourselves. Mm. There's been a missing report filed on her. Missing, huh? Who told it? Sir? Who told about her being missing? The report was filed by her mother-in-law. Mm. Well, I wish I could help you fellas out. Now, the last time you saw the Shipley girl, she say anything about leaving town? No. Wouldn't be surprised, though. Why do you say that? Well, poor kid was scared to death. Told me she wanted to get away. Mm-hmm. Do you know what she was frightened about? Yeah, Cliff Bender. That's what she was afraid of, Cliff. Well, who's he? Well, look, I'll tell you the whole thing. Be easier that way. One favor I gotta ask you. Yes, sir. You won't tell Cliff I told you. If you come up here, he could tear the place apart easy. You gotta promise me you won't tell him. All right, sir, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, Nadine, uh, Harriet. Well, she came to work for me about a year and a half ago. Came in and told me she'd had some experience in a dance place in the Midwest. Mm. I, I don't remember the name right off. Probably come to me. Yes, sir. Well. Well, I told her I'd try her, you know, sort of probation. Yes, sir. Well, it worked out fine. End of the week, I put her on permanent. She did real well. A lot of guys got to come in just to dance with her. Wouldn't have nobody else, just Nadine, or Harriet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how she met Cliff. He'd come in one night, fell for her, and they started to go together. I told him I didn't like the idea of girls going out with the customers. Not good business. Didn't make any difference to them, though. They kept right on seeing each other. That's this Bender fella. Yeah. Well, anyway, one night the soldier come in. He was took right away with Nadine, asked her for a dance. Kept buying tickets all night so as he could dance with her. Come back the next night, same thing. All night long, he danced with Nadine. That's Harriet. Yeah, that's right. Called her Nadine, you know, I told you about it. Yes, sir. Made Cliff plenty sore, but there wasn't anything he could do about it. She wanted to be with a soldier. It wasn't too long before she told him he was going to get married. Well, word got around about that, really made Cliff hacked. Real hacked. Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Well, him and the soldier, Shipley, had a fight downstairs one night after we closed. I guess Cliff waited for him and Nadine to come down. Anyway, it was a real brawl. Cops and everything. Cliff really cleaned up on the soldier. Didn't do any good, though. What do you mean? And Nadine told Cliff to stay away from her. Keep far away. Told him that her and the soldier was going to get married and that they were through. She met Cliff and her. Uh-huh. Well, the soldier and Nadine got married a couple days later and she quit her job. Right after that, I heard he went overseas and Cliff was around trying to break things up. Uh-huh. Didn't do no good, though. Nadine loved the soldier and she planned to stay with him. Yes, sir. Well, I tried to talk to Cliff. Tell him to stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Leave the girl alone. What was that? I told him to leave the girl alone. I see. Mm-hmm. Didn't do any good. He was sure hot. He said that she was his girl. Might take some time, but he'd get her for running out on her. I figured he told her that, too. That's what she was afraid of. Don't blame her. Cliff told me that, I'd believe him. What's that, sir? That he was going to kill her. p.m. After we'd gotten the names and addresses of the employees of the Dream Palace who knew the missing girl, Frank and I went back to the office. We had the names checked through the record bureau, but we found that only one of the 14 people on the list had arrest records. That one was a Cliff Bender, who had been picked up on a charge of suspicion of burglary. However, according to the information on the report, he'd been released because of lack of evidence. We checked the log about the fight Lasnik had mentioned. We found that an F.I. card had been filed, but that no arrest had been made. We went over to room 45 and we talked with Sergeant Egenweiler and Sergeant Rubles, the officers who'd handled the burglary case. They told us that in their contacts with Bender, he was sullen and uncooperative. They told us that he'd been seen in the company of known criminals. They also told us that in their opinion, they considered the man dangerous. We checked his last known address, but we found that he'd moved in July, leaving no forwarding address. While Frank and I checked out the rest of the missing girl's friends and acquaintances, Sergeant Graham and Cliff Bailey tried to check on Bender. We talked to everybody on the list we'd gotten from Ernest Lasnik, but none of them could give us any idea where we might find the Shipley girl. Most of them, however, told us about the threat that Bender had made against her life and expressed the opinion that he was responsible for her disappearance. The next day, Wednesday, August 13th, Frank and I went by communications, then we checked back into the office. I tell you, the mother-in-law of that missing girl called again this morning? No, no, you didn't. Yeah, she wanted to know how we were doing, what progress we'd been able to make. Well, what'd you tell her? Well, I filled her in on what we found. I didn't tell her about Bender, though, just said we thought we'd be able to find the girl. Mm-hmm. You talked to her when she made the original report, didn't you, Joe? Yeah. What'd you think? Well, how do you mean? Well, isn't there something there that's a little off base to you? I don't know what you're trying to get at. Well, it just seems to me that she doesn't care if we find her daughter-in-law or not. All she cares about is the kid. Well, yeah, I kind of got that idea myself. The way she talked, doesn't seem that she and the girl got along too well, does it? No. just seems like there's something she isn't telling us. I don't know what it is. I asked her this morning if she'd heard from her son, if he knew anything about where his wife might be. What'd you say to that? Well, she told me she didn't want to bother him, make him worry. Wouldn't even tell me his mailing address. Said she didn't want him alarmed unless there was a reason. No, the way I see it, his wife being gone is reason enough. Yeah, that's the way it seems to me, and I told her that. She said our job was just to find the girl and the baby, and that's all. Cooperation like that isn't going to make it any easier, is it? We can only do so much if she isn't going to help us. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Her filing the report and then holding out information. I mean, I may better get over and talk to her again. See if we can get the whole story. How about Graham and Bailey? You heard from them? No, there's a note in the book. They got a lead on Bender. Graham said they were going to run it down for us this morning. Uh Uh-huh. What time you got now? Uh, uh, 9.43. I want to talk to the skipper. Make arrangements to put a picture of the Shipley girl on suspects wanted this afternoon. Might be able to turn something, huh? Sure, a lot of loose ends. Uh, I get it. Missing persons, Friday. Yeah, Graham. Mm Mm-hmm. Where? What'd she say? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's about the same. What? Yeah. Well, you want to call the crime line? Right. No, we'll meet you out there right away. Right, bye.
Captain, when they found where Bender was living. What do you mean, was? Checked out last June, about the same time the Shipley girl disappeared. Landlady hasn't seen him since. Guys came up with something else. Yeah. A couple of shirts for a baby. Uh-huh. Blood stains all over him. a.m. We got to the apartment where Bender had been living. The crew from the crime lab were there, and they were photographing the room and the clothing that had been found. Sergeant J. Allen told us that he'd have to run a precipitate test on the stains before he could tell whether or not they were of human origin. 10.45 a.m. They finished their investigation on the scene, and they went back to Central Station to compile the results. Frank called the office, and a local and an APB were put out on Cliff Bender, asking that he be picked up as a possible suspect. We also had his card flagged in the record bureau. We talked to the landlady of the apartment building, and she told us that Bender had left his apartment hurriedly one night about the middle of June. She was unable to tell us the exact date, but she did go on to say that she'd been getting a check for the rent each month. We asked her if she could show us either one of the checks or an envelope that it had come in. She explained that she had thrown the envelopes away and had cashed the checks. She was unable to tell us where they'd been mailed from. She said that as far as she knew, she'd never seen the Shipley girl in Bender's apartment. We asked her to notify us immediately in the event that the suspect returned. We put in a call to the bank where the rent checks were cashed and we asked that they give us the information on them. 1.30 p.m. Frank and I went over to the crime lab and we talked to Jay Allen. He told us that the stains on the baby clothes were human blood. He showed us the photographs taken, but there was nothing in them that would give us any lead as to either the girls or Bender's whereabouts. That afternoon, the picture of Harriet Shipley was telecast over the police program. We got several calls from citizens who said that they'd seen the girl. We checked them all out. One of the callers, a bus driver, told us that he'd seen the girl and the baby on his bus during the month of June and that she'd gotten off in San Diego. We alerted the police in that city to look for her. Thursday morning, Frank and I checked into the office. You want to check the book, Frank, see if there's anything from San Diego? Right. I got it. Missing persons, Friday. Yes, that's right. Yes, we did. Uh-huh, where? You sure about that? Right away. Mm-hmm. Frank, get your coat. What do you got? Shipley girl, they found her. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. call had come from a nurse at the state mental hospital in Camarillo. She told me that they had a patient who resembled the photograph of the missing girl as televised on our police program. Frank and I left the office and drove out to the hospital. We talked to the nurse and to the doctor who was taking care of the sick girl. From personal effects and the scars on her wrists, we were reasonably sure of the identification. The doctor told us that the girl had been committed on July 17th by her sister under the name Harriet Lavin. He told us that the girl was undergoing treatment but that there was little hope for a complete recovery and that it would be some time before she could be permitted to leave the violent ward. We tried to talk to her, but we were unable to get any coherent answers. We asked about the baby, but the authorities were unable to give us any information. We got the name and address of the sister who had committed the Shipley girl, and we drove down to San Diego to talk to her. It was a small place in a wartime housing development. The paint was peeling off the plyboard walls, and the front yard was overgrown with weeds. The woman who answered the door identified herself as Pauline Lavin. Sure, what do you want to know? Don't make no difference now. You go back and tell her it's too late. Way too late. Tell who, ma'am? Mrs. Shipley, Harriet's mother-in-law. You go back and tell her she done it good. There ain't nothing left to do to Harriet. It's all been done. You can tell her that. Well, we don't work for Miss Shipley, ma'am. We're trying to find out what happened to your sister and the baby. Who asked you to find out in the first place? It was her, wasn't it? Wasn't she the one? She filed a report. Well, that's what I mean. Well, you go back and tell her there's nothing more she can do to Harriet or the baby or Big Jerry. 
Nothing at all she can do. Where is the baby man? He's not here. Do you know where he is? Yes, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell anybody. I promised Harriet I wouldn't tell. I'm going to keep the promise. Ms. Lavin, we don't want to hurt your sister. We're just trying to get to the truth. Now, maybe you better tell us what you know. You ain't doing this for old Miss Shipley? No, ma'am. All right, then. I'll tell you, but not for her. I wouldn't give her the right time of day. She's the one that did it, the whole thing. You can lay it right at her feet. All right, you want to tell us about it? Since they got married, she's given the kids trouble. Right from the first she heard about it. Said that Harriet wasn't good enough for her son. Said Harriet was cheap. Didn't make any difference to the kids. They got married anyway. They were in love, so they got married. Mm -hmm. Soon as Big Jerry went overseas, she started on Harriet to get an annulment. All the time writing her letters telling her how cheap she was. That if she really loved Jerry, she'd get an annulment. And she found out about the baby, so she started saying how they should get a divorce. Does Harriet's husband know about this, would you know? Sure. All along he knew it. He didn't like it. Told his mother to stay out of their lives. Kept telling her, but it didn't do any good. None. Then Harriet got the wire. One that told about Big Jerry being dead. Almost killed her. I thought it was going to. They was really in love. is isn't often you see something like them, too. Real love. The kind you live, not the kind you talk about. Mm -hmm. One night, right after she got the wire, she got a phone call from San Francisco. From old Miss Shipley. She told Harriet that she was going to the court to take the baby away from her. Said she could prove Harriet wasn't a good mother and she didn't deserve to have the baby. Was Harriet living here at the time? No. Well, she'd come down every weekend, but she wasn't living here. There was a guy up in L.A. that was giving her trouble. A fellow named Bender, I think. He was with her when she tried to kill herself. He ran out so he wouldn't get mixed up in it. He was always giving Harriet trouble, so she left one night to get away from him and old Mrs. Shipley. She came down here and said that she just wanted to be left alone with her baby. That's not a lot to ask, is it? Just to be left alone? No, ma'am. It was for old Mrs. Shipley. She just wouldn't let Harriet alone. Kept after her saying how she was going to take away the baby. How Harriet was an unfit mother kind of got in her mind. Finally, there wasn't much else she was thinking about but how to keep her baby. She went out walking one night, took the baby with her. Rained. Rained real hard. I guess the baby took cold. Anyway, the next day, he came down with a bad fever. A couple of days later, he was dead. Not even a year old, and he was dead. You want to go on? Harriet sat around for a week. Didn't say anything. Didn't do nothing, just stare at the wall. Didn't even cry. Just sat and looked at the wall. And all of a sudden, she just fell apart. I called the doctor, said it was a breakdown, and said I should have her committed. I signed the papers, and that's where she is. I went up to see her. She didn't even know me. I'm her sister, and she didn't even know me. So you just tell old Miss Shipley how she did good. You just tell her what she did to my sister. Tell her how the baby's dead and she's finally got what she wanted because now Harriet hasn't got the baby. Nobody's got him. Nobody's got him. Nobody. Come on, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Where to? Well, we better get back to town. Guess so. See Miss Shipley. <laughs> We got back to Los Angeles at 9.30 p.m. We went directly to the hotel where Mrs. Shipley was staying. The desk clerk told us that she'd left word that she was not to be disturbed. He called the room and she asked that we come up. We took the elevator to the seventh floor and we walked down the hall. Good evening, Sergeant Friday. Officer Smith, come in. 
Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. You're just having a drink. May I fix you one? No, thank you. How about you, Mr. Smith? No, thank you. You don't mind if I go ahead? No, ma'am, not at all. Just sit down, and I'll be right with you. Thank you. Desk clerk said it was important. Yes, ma'am. You found my daughter-in-law? Yes, ma'am. And the baby? Where is he? Is he still with her? No, ma'am, he's not. Where is he? Your daughter-in-law's pretty sick, Miss Shipley. Oh? Yes, ma'am. She's in the state hospital up at Camarillo. Camarillo? Yes, ma'am. That's a mental hospital, isn't it? That's right. And I'm sorry to hear about Harriet, but I knew she wasn't very stable. Why didn't you tell us your son was dead, Mrs. Shipley? I didn't think it had any bearing on the thing. What difference does it make? You don't seem to be very interested in this way. I'm going to be honest with you, Sergeant. I'm not. Not in the least interested in what she does or where she is. I never did feel she was the right girl for my son, never. When the baby was born, I tried to go along with it. I tried to be nice to her, and she wouldn't have it. She wouldn't even be friendly. She poisoned my son, turned him against me. She's a terrible woman. Just terrible. Whatever's happened to her is just exactly what she's got coming. Naturally, I'm sorry it's the way it is, but there's nothing I can do. All I'm interested in right now is my grandchild. I want him. And if I have to go to court to get him, then I'll do it that way. That won't be necessary, ma'am. Where is he? I'd like to go and get him now that Jerry's wife can't take care of him. He's dead, ma'am. If this is some kind of a joke that you're making up to help my daughter-in-law keep him, it won't work. It's no joke. It's the truth. He died in a hospital in San Diego. It's not right. It's not right that he's dead. She did this. Harriet. She did it to get even with me. I know she did. We're sorry, Miss Shipley. First my husband, then Jerry. I haven't got anybody. I'm all by myself. Isn't anybody in the world who cares? Nobody. Now we're sorry, Miss Shipley. I wish there was something we could do. No, you're not. You like the rest of them. But it's Harriet. She is the one. Nobody else to consider in this mess. Just her. What about the baby? <laughs> The story you've just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On Thursday, August 14th, a meeting was held in the office of the Captain of Homicide, Los Angeles Police Department. In a moment, the results of that meeting. At the meeting held in Captain Lorman's office, it was decided that no criminal act had taken place and the case was officially marked closed. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Vigran, Carolyn Jones. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy 
K-I-M-M-Y dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.